0: this is the freshman 15 i'm john nelson and i'm a teenage rock god all the freaks come worship me and i'm john Longino, and once upon a time i befriended a disturbed young boy who grew up to be eight feet tall and mute he drowned me in a toilet Longino, you ready to go? Of course, I wouldn't miss it. I've loved doing the Freshman 15 for all of the two years that we've been doing it. Me too. Let's get started. You miserable motherfucker. I ought to jump over this counter and bash your fucking balls in. All right, Tippy. Hand over the cash box, and I might leave your brains inside your skull. Well, I'll tell you what, Ski King. Why don't you just take your mama home some chicken, and then I won't have to stuff my boot all up in your ass. I don't like chicken, and I hate clowns. Hey, John, do you mind if I take a second to um, correct the record, as it were? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, John, we've been doing this podcast for a while, and I've been kind of looking back on everything we've done. And there's just one thing I sort of wanted to... I don't know if apology is the right word, but I wanted to sort of correct... I I took another look at Clerks. Oh, okay. Actually, it came on the other... Like, last week, and... That, that's a really great movie. I don't know why we were so sour on it and so yeah. just kind
1: of angry. I think we were just, you know, having a bad week.
0: Yeah, I don't. I think we were, I think it's called projecting. Like, we were really taking out, you know, our own issues on, on what was clearly like a fine film. Like, I, I actually really liked it this time. So, I just wanted to sort of let everyone know Clerks is actually a really good movie.
1: Yeah. And I'm not sure what we were thinking with Alien 3.
0: Yeah, that movie's terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, welcome everyone to our april fools episode yes for uh, those of you listening we did decide to pull a little bit of an april fools gag on you all we had advertised the movie for tonight was going to be the freshman film of robert cummings and for those of you who are not up on your rock and roll trivia robert cummings is actually the birth name of rob zombie so uh (laughs) apologies everyone we were feeling a little frisky couldn't help ourselves happy april fools gotcha Our movie tonight is the freshman film by none other than Rob Zombie, House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. Uh,
0: yeah. Launch, you were you a, a, a Rob Zombie slash white zombie fan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Yes, I was. I, I, I think I came to it actually a little later than when they were kind of first around. Right. I Actually, I mean, I knew. I think I heard more human than human. That was kind of a big right. Question.
1: tour Tonight had an interesting path to auteurship. He uh, started as a rock and roll star <laughs> with uh, many platinum hits, first with the band White Zombie and then later on as a solo act. And if you have seen any movie in the late 90s then you have heard either White Zombie or Rob Zombie's music. The Matrix. Absolutely. Any horror movie
0: ever. Yep. Actually, The Matrix is where I kind of first became a fan.
1: Oh, okay. I think
0: they used a remix of Dracula uh. <laughs> that was on the Matrix original soundtrack and I bought that soundtrack like everyone in my high school did right. and listened to it Nonstop, and then I it got so in my head that that sort of led me to Hellbilly Deluxe. Hellbilly Deluxe.
1: It's an appropriate title because that sort of describes his whole like genre. <laughs> yes, I mean it's it's not quite horror, it's not quite country, <laughs> it's not quite you know
0: trailer trash, <laughs> it's not quite good, but, but maybe it is. You know, maybe. We'll, it's, we'll, it's sort of I don't know ironic country butt rock, or right? Something. Like I, I, it, it feels like he's sort of in a genre all of his own.
1: Rob Zombie writes music for I would say twelve year
0: old boys? Question mark. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, when I was twelve, I loved it. So is that when you discovered uh, it? Was- I guess that's a that's actually a little incorrect. I was probably more like fourteen or fifteen. Oh uh, okay, but I was so emotionally still- <laughs> twelve,
1: so <laughs> old enough to know better, but not quite. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so uh, what's interesting about House of a Thousand Corpses is, is that uh, Rob Zombie was playing his rock and roll, and then Universal Studios they do their Halloween horror nights, and they say, "Would you do a th- part of the park?" and, uh, you know, do it your way. And he said, oh, yeah, and we'll call it House of a Thousand Corpses. And he was designing, you know, for a theme park and Universal loved it so much they came to him and said, hey, do you have any ideas for movies? And he said, yes, I do. I just so happen to have one based on this very thing I'm doing. And then he, in his own words, made something up on the spot and then that (laughs) became the movie House of a Thousand Corpses. Did he
0: make something up? Or did he take like a pretty (laughs) well-known template of a movie and just sort of insert it into his carnal Or or maybe
1: had he seen the Texas Chainsaw Man the night before and (laughs) just repeated it verbatim uh, and added
0: clowns texas chainsaw was adjacent at halloween horror nights (laughs) as he looked on and, and merged the two together
1: it could very well be but that is the the origin story of house of a thousand corpses it started as a theme park experience and became rob zombies freshman film and they uh universal didn't want to release it right yes famously he made the movie and then it took it was on the shelf for, like, what, two years? like,
0: two or three years. Two
1: or three years. And then another studio bought it and then also didn't want it because it was too violent and gushy. And then uh, Lionsgate said, "Whoa, well, we'll take a chance. And then apparently they released the movie, and it made so much money the first day they called him up and said, hey, do you have any ideas for sequels? Because <laughs> uh,
0: I, I remember hearing that Rob Zombie was making a film. Yes. And as a fan of his music and I was intrigued and I think the fact that it wasn't released for, for a few years kind of added to the mystique for me.
1: Right. Well, because usually when that happens to a horror movie, it's because it's too violent, too, you know, we must not show yeah. the
0: unshowable. It honestly makes it the cachet rises like it must be really good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> or you know, just really scary. I mean, we can't show this. Think of the children, we can't show this to people. <laughs> um, so uh we've sort of danced around it a little bit. Would you mind telling the good folks out there what is House of
0: a Thousand Corpses about? Well, that is a easily asked question that is probably more difficult to answer. <laughs> but uh, the sort of the best approximation is House of a Thousand Corpses is a hour-and-a-half to two-hour music video (laughs) (laughs) made by Rob Zombie that basically kind of wholesale takes a lot of elements that are pretty tried and true from many horror films, probably most notably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. In fact, a, a Texas Chainsaw alum, Bill Mosley, who was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, is actually <laughs> featured in in House of a Thousand Corpses as Otis. It's more or less the same part. P- pretty much, yeah. Know. But it's it's basically there's a group of kids driving across the country in the 70s. I think it's 1977. And they stop at a gas station, and it's uh, it's Rain Wilson, and it's um, Chris Hardwick, and Chris Hardwick, <laughs> and two unidentified female actresses. Yeah, <laughs> actually, it was interesting seeing Rain w- Wilson, and I forgot he was in it, or I didn't know him at the time I saw the movie. Him right. and Chris Hardwick were kind of unknown to me, and now I was like, oh, well, that's crazy. But um, they stop at Captain Spaulding's gasoline and fried chicken stand. <laughs> Um, and see this sort of oddities show. He has a murder ride. Come ride my famous murder ride. And there's apparently a local legend about one Dr. Satan. <laughs> the, the very subtle name, Dr. Satan. Uh, he's the sort of local serial killer that was supposedly right. was hanged in, at a tree nearby, but the body was mysteriously missing or so, some such nonsense. And so Captain Spaulding, the uh, clown played by Sid Haig, uh, who's sort of, you know, famous from horror movies and black exploitation films and stuff. They request from him like we got to find this tree where Dr. Satan was hanged <laughs> and he begrudgingly sort of gives them directions. And so on their way they happen upon a hitchhiker <laughs> which is incredibly Texas chainsaw uh, this um, young woman named Baby
1: who, Who is, is Sherry
0: Moon yeah. Zombie? Uh, Rob Zombie's wife. I don't know if the, he, she was his wife at the time, but
1: yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think she's,
0: she's credited as just Sherry Moon. Okay,
1: but, makes know, sense. She,
0: she later went on. To she, marry she later Rob went
1: Zombie. on to take the the surname Zombie.
0: Yeah, he saw her uh, masturbating with a corpse, and then decided this has to be the woman I <laughs> this, to spend this the rest is, of my life. I'm going to
1: woo this woman and make her mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so they they pick up a hitchhiker. They go to this crazy family farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Proceed to get uh, captured, brutally tortured. Uh, There's sort of a cops come to try to save them, and and they also get murdered. And it's basically like becomes an hour, hour and a half of just kind of torture and murder. Yeah, it's a basically a snuff film. Yeah, with pretty much with clowns. But it's a, it's very much in the in the vein of classic horror movies, kind of with a Rob zombie. On steroids, maniacal spin to it. I'm not even remotely surprised to hear that it was all sort of originated in a theme park. As a scare zone or something, because yeah. that, thats kind of the vibe. You yeah, get. when
1: you when you know that about it, it sort of is like, oh, no wonder there's like jump scares every thirty seconds, because that's exactly like the you know the origin of that is like, oh my god, there's a evil clown or a murderer with a chainsaw around every
0: corner. <laughs> now, are there jump scares every thirty seconds or merely just profanities and <laughs> you know disgusting uh, things? Well, that well, let's
1: let's get into that a little bit. What what would you say? Uh, uh, talking about House of a Thousand Corpses and the other movies that followed, what what would you say makes up a Rob Zombie film? What are the elements that uh, are common to a Rob Zombie film? Um, cursing, a lot of cursing, violence, hyper-violent nudity. Yeah, Sherry Moon Zombie's naked butt features yep. in just about every <laughs> single one of his movies. Yes. Somehow,
0: butt cracks and butt cheeks <laughs> and butt and holes in in jeans and stuff is is highly common um uh, the south
1: yeah kind of like rednecks and hillbillies and the 70s theme it, yeah. most of his movies either take place in the 70s or have some event that happened in the 70s
0: right. and, and extreme color and um very over the top performances yes well
1: over the top that's a kind uh way to describe many of these performances sure. I, I would also uh, say that bad. That's another way to describe some of these performances. <laughs> right,
0: well, not across the board. So, so b- bad to me sort of denotes that it's uh, unintentional or or sort of a a, a bad choice. Right. Uh, these strike me as far more manic. Like, it, like the, I guess they would be considered bad, but it seems intentional. Actually, very much like. Rob Zombie's music frankly like yeah. it, it's well kind of, would, there's kind of a wink to it.
1: I I would I would agree with you. I think a lot of it maybe comes from the directing. I'm sure he was he tells them, "No, more fakey and bigger and yell right. fuck in the middle a lot more." Here's the thing about Rob Zombie. He does a, a number of behind the scenes uh like documentaries about his movies like and they're very like long, longer than the original movies. Like for Halloween he did like a 4-hour documentary about the making of this movie. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> and it's I, I'm fascinated by that kind of things, as you know, long-time listeners of the podcast know. So I love that stuff, but uh, I could see where it could try some people's patience. But you get the feeling by watching these behind the scenes uh, documentaries that the script is not a thing that is sacred to him. He, he writes things down and then says, well, that's all going to change anyway. Who, ca- <laughs> who cares? Basically, I, I mean, I'm
0: honestly not surprised to hear that. I, I would say it's it's pretty. <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear there's a loose script.
1: Yeah. Well, in his defense and maybe in fairness, I think what Rob Zombie... I mean, he went to Parsons. He's an artist. His early jobs were as a graphic designer. So he's got a a very visual mind. So I think when he approaches a movie, he thinks... He's like Ridley Scott. He thinks more in terms of like, what does it look like? What does it sound like? Definitely. I can see that. And honestly, I would say his aesthetic for movies matches his aesthetic for his music, which is like, well, what he is saying in his songs is... It's dumb. And it's the same thing over and over. If you like one Rob Zombie song, then you probably like all of them because they're more or less the same.
0: Witch's tit on a burnt asshole.
1: <laughs> he, uh. Dig
0: in the ditch I, but I, with my bitch. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> a voodoo shoo-doo hosy catch. Like, you could kind of write any of his songs in about 30 seconds. And then say, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, when in doubt. Yeah, just throw in a yeah. But I,
1: I I think he I don't know if he did it intentionally, but I think his filmmaking aesthetic, especially for House of a Thousand Corpses, very much like felt like his music, which is just like hyper and just this yeah. over-the-topness. And actually one of the things that I liked about House of a Thousand Corpses that I feel like came from his music. When he was with White Zombie, he used to sample horror movies. Oh, uh, absolutely. In his that, songs. That
0: carries over to his his um, single work as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: well, I think what happened is later, I mean, now he can afford to buy the real things, but I guess uh, oh, he was ripping them off. Well, I think he was originally they were ripping them off and then later they had to pay for them and he was like, Well, that's too expensive. So they started making up like they would sample quote unquote horror movies, but they were actually just made up ones that they did. Which oh, okay. if you listen like if you're listening to White Zombie, it's like a lot of them sound like real horror movies, but most of them aren't. They're just made up for the song. Sure. So
0: well, even the the very first track of Hellbilly Deluxe is clearly Sherry Moon Zombie. It sounds like a quote from a horror movie, but it's clearly her voice. Right.
1: Out of the darkness the zombie did call. True pain and suffering he brought to them all, a wavering the children to hide in their beds, for fear that the devil would chop off their heads. (laughs) In House of a Thousand Corpses, one of the devices he uses is he keeps sort of sampling like you know other sources like oh there's this video of like a, a local late night movie, horror movie host uh, you know like an Elvira type Dr. Wolfenstein right and he throws that in and then like oh and then he throws in an ad for Captain Spaulding's and then he throws in like home videos and just random shit gets like edited into the movie and so it seems like that sampling thing is still sort yeah. of in effect
0: I would actually say that's the most effective and best part of the movie.
1: Yeah, I would like,
0: agree. Like I find the the Dr. Wolfenstein kind of framing opening I find really interesting because it sort of sets it up as a late night creature feature movie. It really telegraphs immediately, like what you're about to see is a shitty movie on television, <laughs> not a you know real movie. Right. To me, it's really in the same vein of sort of Quentin Tarantino's later movies, like yeah. one from kind of Kill Bill on, of this like hyper crazy movie. Yeah,
1: and like Grindhouse yeah. and and all those things, and in which he had a, a fake trailer in the Werewolf Woman of the SS. That's right. And um,
0: the, and the um the sort of other like to me watching the movie again, one of my favorite parts. Was the the movie was happening and then just constantly we were cutting into this weird kind of home video footage of characters sort of, you know, giving monologues into the camera or torturing people or just random kind of weirdness. Yeah. And I was so interested in it that I actually looked this up and apparently all of that. I'm not surprised to hear you say that he was filming a behind the scenes or a really long making of because apparently all that stuff is after they finished Production.
1: Yeah, he apparently he shot had,
0: it like in his basement, <laughs> his house or something. He had a
1: couple of years to think about it and he <laughs> right. just kept filming little bits and adding. I like one of those shots. He even was like he was on tour, I guess, with his mm-hmm. band. And then he saw this like long, weird tunnel at like a gig they were at. And he's like, well, I'm going to film this and I might put it in the movie. I don't even know where, but it's so visually striking. I have to have it, which is why, again, I feel like Rob Zombie is a, a, a visualist more than a a, a story person.
0: Yeah, but I, I think the opening credit video stuff and all the weird video stuff that comes in, it got me to a point where if the whole movie was that, I would be kind of okay with it. Like right. That was the most interesting part. Everything else is sort of in the vein of Texas Chainsaw or movies you've seen a lot of times. That yeah. was sort of what he was bringing to the table that I'd never seen in in movies or I mean, certainly not to that extent that often.
1: Yeah. Well, I think like you say, the, the hyper editing and the sort of like sampling of things and just the constant cutting away of things that are happening. Like you say, that's kind of more interesting than the story, which is, I mean, the story takes a little bit to get started. And once it gets started, it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just a, like we say, it's like an hour long snuff film and there's not, you know, I guess if you're a 12 year old boy and I would have been into that when I was 12, but you know, watching it, Especially recently, I was like, oh, right, this is a Rob Zombie movie. <laughs> well,
0: I think if you accept it for what it is... I, I'm not even saying that's is,
1: bad, honestly. Yeah. I'm just like, it. it is, it's not his most interesting film, though, and I think, luckily, he's made better films that show that, that this wasn't the extent of his skills,
0: I guess. I mean... Well, we're sort of jumping ahead, but I I do think it is one of his better movies. But right. perhaps we will yeah, we'll, that we'll, a we'll later. save
1: judgment on that. So,
0: Longina, when and where and how was the first time you saw this movie? Well, uh, amazingly, as it tends to happen on this podcast, I actually remember the exact moment I saw this movie and the circumstances through which I saw it. Oh, good. My uh, junior year of college, this film was going to come out, and um, at the time. <laughs> This is sort of a, a weird tangent, but I'll I'll just sort of dive into it briefly. At the time there were not one, but two women that I was sort of interested in. We were hanging out a lot, let's just say. The plot thickens. Yeah. So not not to <laughs> not to delve in too deep, but at the time I was having these weird vibes of kind of like a bad sitcom of just like, wait, do they do they like me? Like, which one likes me? I, maybe they both do. Which one am I interested in? This whole kind of dumb thing. And this all crested and culminated in a brilliant idea I had, which was uh, we were hanging out, and I said, hey, <laughs> Rob Zombie's new movie is coming out, House of a Thousand Corpses. Do you want to go see it with me? Sure, because that's that's the date movie you yeah. want to see. Right. And without hesitation, immediately both of them said yes let's go (laughs) and that was the moment that i went hmm (laughs) that was a real quick yes for rob zombie's house of a thousand corpses i think i might be on (laughs) to (laughs) something
1: how can i turn this to my advantage yes
0: well i was young and idiotic so i brought these two women that i was interested in to house of a thousand corpses and they sat and watched it with me and they had no point of reference for they they weren't really into horror movies they'd never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. oh my god they didn't really kind of know what they were getting into but yeah so they they saw it and pretty much immediately (laughs) (laughs) things got a little awkward because the opening credits are completely insane there's jaws kind of being ripped open and titties shaking in front of the camera and kind of these these like Rita Hayworth like vixens you know right. s- dancing sultry and corpses and bodies and you know and within the first 10 minutes the guy's given a about serial killers and Ed Gein, and what's funny is they didn't know who Ed Gein was. And I remember sitting there going like, "Oh, ladies, actually, Ed Gein is a." Ser- <laughs> I was like, I was like explaining Ed Gein, like, "Oh, he's a serial killer that would you know uh, steal corpses and he made furniture out of them and all this stuff." <laughs> um, How did you not get laid that night? At, uh, I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, surprisingly, things you know ended up kind of working out okay, but but it was just like. I, I That is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of circumstance. I don't know the next time I'm going to be macking on two girls at a Rob Zombie movie. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not really going to happen. That's so amazing. I, I, not, I, I just remember being very thankful to life <laughs> for granting me this moment.
1: So let's talk about maybe the aesthetic of the movie a little bit. Now, this is going to sound weird, um, but I am actually a big admirer of, like, the production design of Rob Zombie movies because I feel like that's where he sort of excels is, like, his movies feel oddly grounded in a lot of ways. Now, this movie maybe isn't the best example, but, like, you know when people say, like, every frame is a painting? Well, like, a Rob (laughs) Zombie movie, every frame is sort of like a velvet painting. It's just, like, thrift shop, ugly, vomit, bullshit, but every frame is visually interesting i mean you're not bored watching this
0: movie no They're, no not at all there's it's, a, it's like a snuff film barry linden is that kind of <laughs> <what? laughs>
1: kind of yeah <laughs> i mean but even when i'm like this is the terrible thing there'll be dialogue where two people are going hey man you suck fuck you no fuck you no fuck you no fuck you and it's, that is
0: uh, oddly quite accurate that's
1: uh, that's actually quoting three or four different rob zombie films somehow um but they'll be doing this Terrible fucking dialogue, and yet uh, my eyes will be riveted to the screen because they'll be like, you know, like Captain Spaulding will be dressed in a clown suit and holding a piece of fried chicken out at his <laughs> assaulter, or, you know, you'll just see like a, sure. a a bear head in the frame, like mounted on a wall, or it, it just every crevice is fucking stuffed with either... Something stupid, some 70s thing, or goo, or blood, or bone, or just... It, it, he is just obsessed with, like, you're not going to be able to look away from anything. Definitely. So... Well, I, th-
0: I think in particular the moment you're talking about, I, I, Captain Spaulding's sort of museum of oddities makes all those scenes... I don't know if watchable's the right word, but yeah, like, very interesting to look at. Because, this, like you said, the scene is just... Oh y'all think us folk from the south is real funny, like, huh? As Rain Wilson looks scared, but I'm looking at just all the the shrunken heads and all <laughs> right. the cra- and also just his makeup. He has this weird clown makeup. He's got the yellowest, grimiest, <laughs> nastiest teeth on God's green earth this stupid weird sideways hat well and he's wearing anything about it
1: clown makeup over a
0: very shaggy beard <laughs> right and the makeup looks like it was put on two days ago and then the back of it is just like ah oh, fuck it it's just <laughs> done like there's the back of his head is not painted white like it, right like it, it's so much work to look so half-assed <laughs> it's great well, that's the thing. Like I say, this is the
1: thing I admire about Rob Zombie, and, you know, th- this is a thing he will carry over into all his movies, just the production design and the, and the grounded weight of things. I Of all the flaws in his movies, and especially this first one, I feel like feeling like you're in a real space is not one of them. I feel like you always... They're real humans in real space now, you know, doing stupid shit, but like... I don't know there's just something about and and the camera work in in House of a Thousand Corpses is a little different than he chooses to go with later on later on he sort of uses a documentary style you know a lot of handheld a lot of close-ups House of a Thousand Corpses is shot very classically with I mean he starts off with like crane shots and you know jib shots and a lot of very like steady moving cameras and and so it it (laughs) <laughs> it's weird because it, it it's almost like he's setting it up to be like oh it's like a classic you know universal monster movie well
0: I, w- I wonder how much of that comes from the fact that universal financed the movie right like he's shooting on the universal studio lot right
1: at the psycho house the, right yeah uh
0: well i think it's actually the best little whorehouse in texas yes
1: yes, you're right <laughs> and then <at>
0: the <laughs> monster house is right next door and the Lever- right. house. There, there's this, a rather infamous sort of street that it, at the universal lot where many a show and movie has been shot and actually this time watching the movie i immediately recognized it like oh that <laughs> that's the universal you know neighborhood um, but I, I think that might be it. Like he's at a studio, so it's a bigger budget, right? They didn't decided not to release the movie. So it sort of plays now as, as kind of an independent film or something. And I think that aesthetic you're talking about the cheaper, like handheld, more documentary looking is probably from the fact that he's now making lower budget independent movies or just more art movies and less you know, mainstream like studio movie
1: right and he may have been i mean we're talking about the like for example the movie starting with like a video like a commercial and then like a a local you know uh movie monster show that stuff you know like we say it came later so the first shot in the movie ostensibly could have been this you know beautiful crane shot into captain spaulding's you know chicken shop or whatever (laughs) and it might have been something that he was like you know, I, I I don't he he doesn't seem to be one of those people who takes sort of anything seriously or, or holds anything in high regard. At least to hear him talk about it, but he, he may have been influenced by like, oh, I love Universal movies, and I get to make a Universal monster movie, so I'm going to do it on the, way. the
0: Universal, yeah, thought.
1: and I'm going to shoot it like they would shoot it. So right. maybe that's why it starts off a little. And
0: in particular, I remember a rather honestly needless establishing shot of, <laughs> of one of the girls dad's house they're, they're sort of they've established it's Halloween and there's trick-or-treaties and actually it's the same dry you know the same area of Universal and then all of a sudden Private Ryan is, <laughs> is on the phone the, the uh, actor who is old Matt Damon in Saving Private Ryan who right. I don't know that gentleman's name but he, he was an old actor is this girl's dad but they that scene, she could make a phone call and it just cuts interior his house. Hello, like There's, <laughs> right. there's no need whatsoever for a really over the top establishing shot with it looks like it's out of a Halloween movie. There's right. kids trick or treating and it's craning in. It's so over the top for <laughs> yeah. that for this one huge scene. production
1: value yeah. for uh, for this other so, plot. Yeah, I,
0: I know what you're talking about. That is used quite a bit.
1: So what else, uh, Lange? what other things are, are good about the Rob Zombie
0: directing method? Good. Good is a tough question. <laughs> it, it's all ironically good. I mean, that's the thing about it is I think most people would watch House of a Thousand Corpses or many of, frankly, most of Rob Zombie's movies. And and I think on the, a base level, the reaction would be, this is terrible or, <laughs> or this, is, this is disgusting or this right. is over the top. And as people who are genre fans of horror, who have in- ingested and, and viewed a ton of horror movies, right. I think it works a lot better on them. Because you're so inundated with, it. there's no shock value for you, right? You, you've seen right. everything. You've seen every horror movie that's come out. You've seen every cheap scare there could be, <laughs> every cat that's jumped out of a locker. You know, you, you know all the gags. Right. And so, in order for him to make a movie that is going to surprise you, he has to go completely insane. Right. and just all over the place and, and offbeat and just bizarre. And I think sometimes it works and I think sometimes it doesn't. I, I think for House of a Thousand Corpses, it's it's he's just throwing shit at the wall. He's trying yeah. everything he can. And sometimes it works great. I think that home video stuff we talked about works great. I think that some of the more disturbing moments uh, work fairly well, where people are dressed like rabbits and being attacked and running around and his use of kind of slow-mo. And I think in particular, there's a um, a really off-putting and very long-held crane shot on. Yes. Uh, it's Walton Goggins, actually. Oh, you know, yeah, from The Shield. As a, as a deputy, I love Walton Goggins, and he's also in Justified and, right. and some, you know, some movies. Many, well. many other things. Lots of things. Because he's, he's awesome. He's fantastic. Um, but And I was just, oh, look, Walton Goggins. But th- there's a scene where the cops and everything show up, and, and it's actually reminded me of The Shining. You know, There's all this time spent on Scatman Crothers and right. making his way to setting the Overlook up the, Hotel.
1: Setting up the cavalry, basically. Yeah, it's
0: just constantly cutting back to, we're coming, don't worry, we're coming to save you, here we go. And then they arrive and, and just get massacred. Yeah. Um, and that happens in The Shining, which I've always loved. It's just, we spend... 30, 40 minutes on, <laughs> I got to rent a, a plow and I got to do all, you know, all this shit just to show up and get axed.
1: Yeah. Get immediately murdered, which and is I, I, great.
0: But in this moment where all of the sheriffs and deputies and stuff are getting murdered and private Ryan gets shot and then and the local
1: <laughs> Ryan does not get saved.
0: Yeah. Uh, the sheriff gets his brains blown out by mother flyer, firefly in the house. And Walton Goggins is, is sort of in this awkward scene with Otis, Where he puts a gun on him and it's like, drop everything and put your hands on your knees. It takes an eternity.
1: Yeah. Well, it's deliberately slow because the rest of the movie moves so fast.
0: Yes. And everything just grinds to a halt for this tracking shot, this crane that is just... The music stops and it holds on it for... Thirty seconds? Forty sec I mean a yeah, long and, time. And it's
1: a long thirty seconds. Long time. Because you are watching a man about to be executed and yep. and it's the only use of like suspense that Rob Zombie uses in this movie. Everything else is like boo scares and gore yeah. and horror and splatter and this is Well, what's going to happen why is this taking so long and all it is is just drawing out the inevitable and
0: you know i mean these people are maniacs they're torturing and murdering everyone for fun yeah so there's really no ambiguity that like they're going to let this guy go right you kind of know he's dead so to really hold you in that moment it kind of puts you in his shoes almost of just fuck Mm -hmm. i'm dead and this the torture is now i'm just going to make you wait
1: yeah Well, and there's something really. That to me was the only. Now that I'm, you know, a 45 year old man, that was the only genuine terrifying moment in that movie. Everything else is just like, well, you know, maybe you're. Tense or upset
0: or offended but you weren't w- scared of dr satan in his surgical mask and, oh, and his wow. needle apparatus and stuff I, well <laughs> I mean, it was so subtly done maybe the, a little no
1: not really no oh, not at all well
0: i mean again my, when my bloody valentine the wrestler came out with an axe i didn't yeah none you. of that well that's okay. i
1: mean the movie just after that you know, very tense moment when, you know, the deputy gets blown away. Then the movie veers into this weird, like I mean, it's not like the movie started out all that grounded, but it veers into this weird, like half a horror movie almost. Because mm-hmm. up till now the assailants were human, and then suddenly they're like weird demon like creatures under the earth yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and and It definitely
0: and, takes a turn. And not a turn that makes any sense but I, particularly. It, but in a way I actually really enjoyed that part. I, I think when when um, one of our uh, heroines uh, falls down or, or is, is buried alive and put into essentially a necropolis like underneath right. the house and there's stray... I think one of my favorite wrinkles of that is... So they put the victims in these bunny costumes. They lower her down in a coffin and then she comes out and then there's just these stray old men... One of them also in a bunny outfit, who are just wandering the caves. Yeah, the catacombs. Catacombs. And and one, I, I don't know if this is what you picked up. My inference was sort of this guy was also a victim at some point, right. who's just lost down here. Yeah. Because he's wearing the bunny outfit. Yeah. But they also steal the outfit off of her, so one could gather, you know, maybe he stole that bunny outfit from a previous victim or something. It's, it's kind of ambiguous.
1: Yeah, well, and of course, some of the people down there are like, you know, they're the things they're feeding them to, the gods that right. they're, you know, offering a sacrifice to, or whatever you
0: want to call it. Well, because I think that the um, legend is sort of, Dr. Satan was a asylum doctor who was working on mental patients and he wanted to make them superhuman. He kind of has elements of almost like some weird Nazi doctor who's doing experiments. And the idea he was, he wanted to make a superhuman race out of experimenting on crazy people. So I guess we're meant to believe that these superhuman people (laughs) or these weirdos or corpses that are reanimated under the house are, are, are sort of, Dr. Satan's experiments, I guess. Right, maybe. And how he's connected to the family, it seems like he's their patriarch but he's not in the house. He's underground and they have a grandpa. So well, that's it, the
1: thing is I think in the original script, grandpa was Dr. Satan, but then uh, okay. somewhere in the shooting, Rob Zombie had one of his brainstorms and decided, no, Dr. Satan's got to be this half human thing or, or more than human thing that
0: lives in the earth. Maybe he thought, Oh shit. If I have grandpa in the house, be the one that's got to do all the killing. <laughs> it's a little too close to a certain movie with the chainsaws and masked men. <laughs> no, Not at all. Not even close. But yeah, he went full. I mean, the whole thing's a music video, but those catacombs, that is, it is full on music video. Yeah, it's
1: just a chase for about 10 minutes. And yeah. then and then she gets away. She's picked up by Captain Spaulding in his uh, convertible, and he seems like he's helping her out, but oh,
0: shit, somebody's in the backseat. The end question mark? I, I did love the question mark. Well, first it comes up with the end. It's Otis in the back seat, Right. With a knife. Just, who just looks at her longingly and we know she's dead. Uh, but it says, The End. Bing! Question mark. <laughs> and I, I even remember the first time I saw that. I, I love films that ended The End? I've only seen two in my life but that aren't That are actually real movies. One is this one. The other one is Godzilla 2000. (laughs) Now, not the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. That was in 1998. People often get confused and think I'm talking about the American film. I'm talking about the Japanese (laughs) film Godzilla 2000, also known as Godzilla Millennium, which in the U.S. release, not only was it dubbed, but the U.S. distribution company decided to put the in question mark at the end. (laughs) And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in a movie. (laughs) It really should be in more movies. I love because it's it's perfect for this movie well it's yeah so
1: i mean this movie is just a pastiche anyway so of course yeah. you have to have that that thing in it um so we've sort of touched on this but what in your mind doesn't work in uh house of a thousand Ooh. corpses what what or what stylistic choices does he make that you're just not a fan of
0: well there uh there's a lot that doesn't work but i i i don't dislike it for that i i admire the bravery of trying everything under the sun
1: right because who knows when you're going to get another chance right
0: but when you do that some things don't work i think uh, there's a moment with otis when he's talking to the he has cheerleaders tied up in his room right. who he loves to give sermons to about just he's, honestly, he honestly sounds like a youtube commenter or he's just right. sort of spouting nonsense and he's angry at everyone for dumb weird things right
1: how could i being born of such uh, conventional stock arrive a leader of the rebellion an escapist from a conformist world destined to find happiness only in that which cannot be explained i brought you here for a reason but unfortunately you and your sentimental minds are doing me no good
0: and in those scenes um there's sort of two aesthetics that it keeps intercutting between there's him just pale in in kind of blue darkness and then all of a sudden it'll cut to him in this bright red neon room and I remember going what is that all about and I looked it up and evidently you know Universal didn't want to release this film. And ultimately they didn't, (laughs) but apparently they were even nervous, you know, while it was being shot, and and so they apparently are different takes of everything. One kind of more intense than the other. Oh, okay. So they would do things like they do a murder take without blood Uh, and then they do a take with blood got it to kind of appease the producers and the higher up executives going hey look we're shooting it both ways so you have options should you want them but i think every moment they looked at the set they're like uh (laughs) (laughs) and evidently this otis moment where there's just kind of neon red scene and then this normal colored scene that was another thing they did is they would light scenes differently Uh, the argument being oh maybe the neon will hide the blood or it'll it'll be cartoony so it's less uh realistic or something i don't know mm. but for whatever reason they just had all these different versions and lightings of sets and so obviously when universal didn't pick up the movie and all of a sudden rob zombie is left to just kind of make it on his own and ultimately he distributes it through Lionsgate, right yes um he has this footage and his choice is to intercut the two versions right as one kind of manic because you know you give this man something he's gonna <laughs> find a way to put it in um,
1: <laughs> he's got, edited it within an inch of his life
0: and what's weird is I think the home video intercutting works fabulously but this both film but lit differently intercutting i Mm -hmm. i don't think worked well it was more distracting i mean that that sounds odd to say (laughs) in this movie but i found it more distracting than than additive right and so that's the first thing that i think didn't really work for me
1: got it um well of many (laughs) right what about you
0: um well, I for me,
1: the thing that really doesn't work on a very general level is just his writing and sort of his story sense. It's like, I mean, obviously, he, his story is not exactly what he's going for, but, like, the dialogue is terrible, the story is barely there. It's just, Obviously, it's all just an excuse for things, and, you know, I can forgive a lot of stuff like that, but, you know, if Tarantino or Rodriguez was doing this movie, the dialogue would be at least a little zestier, you know what I mean? It's, it's as if... Yeah. I, I, I'm one of those people, I really like Rob Zombie's aesthetic as a director, but I wish he would just get another writer and just have that, because he just seems to be the guy who's like, nah, I'll do it, and it'll be fine, and it's awesome as is, and it's like, no, really, it's it's not. It's kind of... Well, the thing is, the banality of it, it's like, this is the trouble, you know, and maybe getting into other movies, it's like, if you look at something like Halloween, or like, you know, Halloween 2, you know, the thing that drags these movies down is just his constant need for people to go, you know, fuck you, I'm a trailer, trash (laughs) asshole, you cunt, you fucking whore, and just, they say things that are just, they just cuss, and there's nothing clever, and there's nothing like funny. Yeah. I mean, I think he can't
0: really help but just get down in the dirt. Yeah. That's that's kind of his thing.
1: I don't mind him getting down in the dirt, but I feel like it's just unfocused. It's not like he's, you know, it feels like non purposefully and it's like i want well, him to be doing it on purpose
0: it's also not shocking when it's wall to wall i think those yes. kind of moments in a normal movie would be really off putting and whoa but you know when it's constant yes. it sort of loses all meaning
1: well i mean that's i mean that's maybe in the plus column for house of a thousand corpses it feels like an assault the movie <laughs> yes. feels like yes. an over sensory you know assault on you and and so you do come out of it feeling like well i have a feeling of what those people went through And maybe that's not to the ultimate good, because maybe if you come out of that feeling like that, you're like, ugh, I'm worn out from Mm -hmm. watching that fucking movie. I
0: I do think it's a very poor choice in House of a Thousand Corpses to have the main characters who are the victims be so incredibly dislikable. Yes. Especially Chris Hardwick. I mean, I, I think <laughs> Rain Wilson is kind of nerdy and, and has some goofy deliveries and stuff. But in contrast to Chris Hardwick, he's, he's <laughs> an angel. Uh, Chris Hardwick, his character is is written just, he is obnoxious. And I, I think the maybe I'm just guessing here, but I think the psychology is something like, let's make him so dislikable that when it comes time to uh, attack and assault and torture these people, you're not actually really feeling that bad for him. You right. honestly, when Chris Harwick was getting attacked, I was glad <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because he's such a piece of shit through right. most of the movie. And I think that, that while it might work for you to kind of be desensitized or not show empathy towards the murdering going on, um, it ultimately isn't, very effective or, or good. It actually is just grating, and I think it's telling that in the next movie that Rob Zombie made, The Devil's Rejects, he he makes different choices that are far more interesting. Like the the victims in that movie aren't obnoxious. Yeah, and I mean you, you're fairly sympathetic towards them. Yeah, I mean
1: I think they he I think the aesthetic he's trying to get is like well they're normal people and normal people aren't necessarily just likable in real life. Devil's Rejects, the sequel to House of a Thousand Corpses, which is. Uh, more like a western almost than uh, than a I mean, horror it's movie. Still a horror m- it's, it's Still a horror movie. It's still a horror movie. It's a movie.
0: different vein of horror movie, but it, it's a torture movie, really. Right. Well, for sure. More more than it is a a kind of slasher horror movie. But
1: uh, the the basically the uh, the surviving villains from House of a Thousand Corpses, they go on the run and they capture this country band who they then spend the rest of the movie kind of torturing and uh, then murdering and then you know taking off to the next thing. Um, but the band is much more sympathetic, though I would say it still has that, like, the, they have that, like, sort of real people, like someone mm-hmm. you'd meet on the street that's sort of like, eh, I don't love you, but I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see you get
0: unnecessarily brutalized. Yeah. Um, and really, I, I think the element that is added in The Devil's Rejects that is not lacking in House of Thousand Courses, but definitely is ratcheted up a notch is the uh, sort of sexual assault. Right, I mean, in in the House of a Thousand Corpses has sexual stuff, and it. babies are constantly flirting, and you know, right. well, they've got necrophilia, yeah, basically. Necrophilia, you know, yes, Motherfire. It's all implied, and it's there. But there's a in particular in the Devil's Rejects. There's a very disturbing hotel room scene where Otis and and Baby are, are essentially, you know, he he sexually assaults a woman puts a gun in her panties and stuff makes her give him a blow job and like it it is charged with an energy that is sort of makes it really disturbing that whereas you can kind of laugh off house of a thousand corpses but right. that particularly that scene in devil's rejects there's no real laughing at all right yeah
1: i think in house of a thousand corpses to him the fireflies are a uh, they're the heroes of house of a thousand corpses. Whereas in the devil's rejects, I would you know, argue that Rob zombie has decided that, no, they are the villains and there should be no doubt as to who the villains are. Well, here.
0: Yes. And no, I think as it starts, they're definitely portrayed as villainous. And what's odd about <laughs> the devil's rejects are actually maybe really interesting is that that perspective sort of skews. I mean, you have the movie begin there. They're monsters. They're horrible and they do depraved things and were meant to be disgusted by them. And then all of a sudden, towards the back end of the movie, the sheriff, who's the brother of the sheriff from House of a Thousand Corpses, who died, is seeking vengeance upon them, torturing them, really debasing himself to their level, like right. quite literally. And they essentially become victims. Right. And you kind of can't help but feel a little bad for them. I mean, they definitely have it coming. And, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like I was sorrowful, but... You kind of feel bad, and then by the end of the movie, they're, they're heralded in a symphony of of, of free bird yeah, as they Felman Louise out of there. You yeah, in the a top. Sam
1: Peckinpah yeah. slow-motion shootout. I mean,
0: they're practically heroic by the end of the movie, which right. is a really odd arc, but it's kind of fascinating.
1: Yeah, but again, I think at the end, I mean they're sort of anti-heroes in that oh, sense oh, cuz oh definitely i mean but but,
0: but, but portrayed differently i mean yes. they're they're not portrayed with that kind of fanfare you know at the start
1: that's true so speaking of the devil's rejects and yes. movies that followed what tricks did rob zombie carry into his later films and what did he uh, kick to the curb as we like to say on
0: this podcast sure Well, uh, I would say his cast most certainly carried over. I mean, between uh, House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, there's a lot of returning actors. Yeah. He
1: uses his company of actors more than Kevin Smith. Yeah. And in fact, (laughs) he even directed an episode of CSI Miami, and they're all there.
0: Yeah. Like Sherry Moon Zombie, uh,
1: William Forsythe, I think, is in it. Um, No kidding. Yeah. No, I'm not. And uh, 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 Malcolm McDowell, who who joined his company in Halloween and has stuck around ever
0: since. I'd say the fetishization and uh, a sort of gaze upon his wife (laughs) uh, is in all his work. He is not shy about showing his wife off to the world. Yeah, she definitely nor is she
1: shy. Yeah, maybe and nor should she be. She shouldn't be ashamed. Um, I would also say the, uh, well, certainly the hyper violence carries over from movie to movie and sometimes it's, you know, better done than, than other, uh, movies. Um, but the cruelty actually is a big carryover. And I would say that that's, I mean, it's something he does well, but I don't know if that's, you know, necessarily a good bragging point. I don't know. I
0: I would say his, especially, I mean, it starts at house of a thousand corpses, but it carries over through all his work. He is very nihilistic. Yes, I mean, it, it, there really is no hope or message to House of a Thousand Corpses. It is just depravity yeah. wall to wall and a celebration of the shadow of humanity and the dark side of everyone.
1: Shit happens and don't get caught in the shit storm, basically. Yeah. But what's interesting is, is that I would say um, in as Rob Zombie has progressed as a filmmaker, I would actually say that he has gained a measure of control over his uh, directing, I, I feel like Devil's Rejects shows, I think, a quantum leap in his skill Definitely. because he, you know, it, it doesn't feel as like haywire and all over the place as House of a Thousand Corpses. It feels like, oh, I'm making choices. There's aesthetic reasons I'm doing things. They may still be twelve year old boyish, but at least I know why I'm
0: doing it. Sure. Well he's making choices instead of making every choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's Which is right. House Without
1: a corpse. That's a good way of putting it. And I think that carries over into the two Halloween movies. What's interesting is when he gets to Lords of Salem that movie is, I I call it like his social network movie because it's like, it, it's that David Fincher moment where like, you know, David Fincher was just like, he did Seven and he did Fight Club and there's all this like stylistic stuff all over the place. And then he does the social network and it's like wide shot, slow crane over. And it's very classically shot and very controlled and like very Kubrickian, you know? And I think that's both Fincher and Rob Zombie decided you know, I'm going to do a Kubrick movie with, you know, the frames are going to be huge and wide and uh, they're going to be very controlled. And most of the action will happen in a wide frame. There's like vi- barely any handheld in Lords of Salem. Wow. Um, it's it, it actually, I mean, the thing about Lords of Salem is it's an interesting movie and it's an interesting display of his like newfound skills. I would not say that translates into a better movie, but... I was actually fascinated to watch it because I'm like, wow, he's doing shit on purpose. And, and I know the handheld stuff is also on purpose, but there is a feeling of chaos when you're using a handheld camera Definitely. for every shot. It's Definitely. like, so to have a frame that's just locked down in every shot, it's like, wow, that, that takes a lot of balls to decide, yeah, I'm going to do a whole movie unlike my usual self. So I think for Lords of Salem, it's an interesting experiment. And then for 31, he goes right back into the handheld and the grunge and the stabbings and you know everything else. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to watch his progression because he actually does progress. I mean, if you're able to look at the screen without getting squeamish. The thing that's interesting to me is one of my favorite Rob Zombie moments comes from Halloween 2, which is possibly my least favorite Rob Zombie movie, but it's uh, a survivor from the original Halloween uh, is is assaulted and murdered brutally by Michael Myers And Rob Zombie does not shy away from how awful a moment this is. It's like he has set up a survivor who faces her worst nightmare and it's that nihilistic thing again. It's like, yeah, you're not safe just because you survived the first time. It doesn't... You don't get a pass Mm -hmm. this time. And it... There was something about that. It really like, I was really upset by that because I was like, she's got this far just to have the,
0: to get it worse the next time. That is a good scene. I remember it. It's juiced by the fact that that actress is actually from the original series of <laughs> right. Halloween movies where she was a young girl in them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, you are right. That is a good moment in a terrible film but. <laughs> yeah uh
1: well if actually if you're looking for a real in-depth examination of uh rob zombies halloween probably an over examination uh our friends over at the hold up podcast did an episode featuring rob zombies halloween a few years ago uh, so you can catch Jeremy Bear and Daniel Long over at HoldUpPodcast.com. Yeah,
0: I, I should warn you, though, over at the Hold Up Podcast, they tend to kind of ramble and, and talk incoherently. It's almost like they don't even have a plan. Or, or it, it, I'm yeah, surprised speaking, they watch the movie, frankly.
1: Speaking of uh, people who appeal only to 12-year-old sensibility. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you're looking for a well-thought-out, crafted discussion uh, curated by intelligent people here at the Freshman 15, that is where you should stay. If you're looking for a a freak show along the lines of a Rob Zombie (laughs) film, I guess check out The Hold Up Podcast at uh, holduppodcast.com.
1: Okay, so going back for a second, we were talking about uh, how Rob Zombie excels at brutality and cruelty. It's a weird thing to excel at, but he excels at that nihilistic cruelty. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say I want to watch that every day, but there is a place for that in cinema to be like, hey man, yeah, we do these sugar-coated things where, oh, the last girl always gets away and you know this person lives to fight another day and all this other stuff and it's like, yeah, sometimes the heroine gets killed and then the murderer gets away and it's a sad day. Well,
0: it's no surprise that he's obsessed with the 70s and sets his films (laughs) in the 70s because that aesthetic and thought is very 70s.
1: Yeah. The funny thing is about House of a Thousand Corpses, it's set in the 70s. If he hadn't said you like, hey, it's 1977. That movie does not look at all like the 70s. There's oh, yeah. not a goddamn thing in that movie looks 70s. And Lords of Salem, which is set in the modern day, looks like a 70s film. So <laughs> well, I, not you know. to mention
0: that in The Devil's Rejects, Brian Possein walks on in what is meant to be 1978 in a flannel <laughs> shirt and he has a chain <laughs> wallet. <laughs> And then a fishing hat that is straight out. He might as well pull a hacky sack out <laughs> and start playing with it. He's straight out of the like late nineties, early two thousands. It's it's just he showed up or whatever he was wearing that day. Fine.
1: Yep. Good enough. He Put looks
0: nothing like he's in the seventies.
1: Oh, you know what's also funny? Uh, here's a interesting tidbit. The band in Devil's Rejects, Rob Zombie, produced an entire album of country music by that band called Banjo and Sullivan. He made a greatest hits record. Sad commentary on a marriage
0: that has failed I'm at home getting hammered while she's out getting nailed
1: And you can listen to it on like Spotify and all that. Yeah. He did it twice. He did it once for Devil's Rejects and he's got a whole album of like misfits like horror punk or whatever by captain Kleeg and the you know the crypt keepers or something like that it's the same guy who did the other record but just sounding like a dracula rockabilly you know <laughs> that's the demon and the robot girl it, it's like the weirdest deep investment in a joke it's like and it, it you know it means nothing
0: it doesn't add anything it just is a real deep gag honestly that should be the tagline to all his films <laughs> the weirdest deep investment in a joke a rob zombie film
1: <laughs> yeah well we wouldn't know anything about that no so longino list time of the movies you've seen of rob zombie's movies where would you put house of a thousand corpses
0: where does it rank well i've only seen 4 of them and it's definitely in the upper half Halloween 1 and 2 go right down into the into Dr. Satan's hell <laughs> hole uh, all the way to the bottom of the earth as some of the worst movies I've ever seen. Boo. But I would say it's the second best movie. Okay. I, I'd say The Devil's Rejects is easily his best movie that I've seen. Okay. Both aesthetically and and just, it's just kind of in every way. It, it, it's a more mature, better made movie than House of a Thousand Corpses. And I think House of a Thousand Corpses runs in second.
1: Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I have a list, and I'm gonna give it to you in reverse. To, right. Let's uh, have it to increase the suspense, Ooh. as if I have a jib slowly crawling up. Uh, <laughs> my number six film, uh, no surprise here, is Halloween two. Uh, though again, it has stuff in it that I like. Um, number five is actually for me House of a Thousand Corpses. So I actually put that in the bottom half. I was a little surprised that that's how I fell on that, but that's sort of where it landed number three and four are a tie so I guess it's a tie for third place and it's a tie between Halloween and Lords of Salem Lords of Salem is a better made movie I think it's that control that I was talking about he's he's obviously gotten a lot more skill and a lot more control of his craft but there's something about Halloween that just you know hits me in the right place 31 is my second uh, which surprised me a little bit, because I was not expecting to like that movie as much as I did. But it really is sort of like revisiting House of a Thousand Corpses, but with, you know, this new skill set that he would picked up in the last decade. Uh, which, number one, I agree with you, is Devil's Rejects. So, that is where we fall, folks. Definitively, Devil's Rejects, Rob Zombie's finest hour. Alright, so, having decided that, John, would you say House of a Thousand Corpses a film that everyone must see or for completists only?
0: Well, it's <laughs> it's an interesting question. I, I think if you're going to know and understand and really kind of appreciate Rob Zombie's work, which isn't terribly long. He, he hasn't made a ton of movies.
1: Sure. I mean, there's six of them.
0: <laughs> I, I think it's one of the ones you would have to recommend be watched even if even if for you it falls kind of closer to the bottom of the list to me there is no better encapsulation of rob zombie's music put to a narrative and film than house of a thousand corpses it's it's somehow he distilled one of his albums directly into another <laughs> medium right It it, it, it is every thing I thought watching a Rob Zombie movie would be when I was a fan of his music. Right. I think for that reason I would recommend it for viewing but if someone wanted to just kind of see Rob Zombie at his best, the first thing I would recommend is The Devil's Rejects which is odd because it's a sequel to House of Thousand Corpses but honestly... You could probably jump in without necessarily having seen the first one.
1: Oddly, I think the beginning of the movie takes care of it very efficiently yeah. with just a very quick opening montage saying the Firefly family killed a lot of people in their house. There's a lot of corpses in it. Yeah, a thousand maybe. <laughs>
0: it's not like you'll be lost, or even if you are, you'll be just as lost as if you've seen it.
1: <laughs> I think I fall on the uh, on the opposite side. I don't think I would recommend. House of a Thousand Corpses. I would say, for me, that is actually, a, if you're watching all of Rob Zombie's films, then go right ahead. But I would recommend, you know, say 31 or devil's rejects above that but i agree with you 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 are going to get no better distillation of rob zombie than house of a thousand corpses if that's what you're looking for then it is the movie but if you're looking for a movie to watch by a filmmaker then i would say 31 takes the place of house of a thousand corpses very uh efficiently uh and devil's rejects is is his best so you could look at that so uh i'm going to fall down on completest only Alright, well thank you folks for listening to uh, our show today. Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, an interesting distillation of Rob Zombie's music into cinematic form. Check it out if you dare. If you want to hit us up with an email, you can hit us at freshman15film that's freshman15film at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook and Instagram page. Visit us there please. We'd love to see you. And hey, Longino, do you film Struck, bro? Of course. Filmstruck, man, it's an amazing app. It's uh, Criterion Collection and Turner Classic Movies crammed together in one streaming app. And do you know that there is a Rob Zombie connection?
0: There to, is. To, I was about to ask. To Turner is there Classic, a Rob Classic Movies. Movie yeah, there.
1: Rob Zombie used to be the Robert Osborne of the late night Turner Classic Movies horror set. It was called like the Underground or something like that. You can see clips of him introing movies like Psycho and. I don't even know what all. I'm Rob Zombie. This is TCM Underground. You can't find Rob Zombie's movies on Filmstruck, unfortunately. I'm sure they're going to correct that uh, little misunderstanding soon. But yeah, if you like uh, good movies,
0: find yourself at Filmstruck. Oh, John, before we sign out, I just wanted to wish my wife a happy birthday. Her birthday is April 1st. Oh, that's sweet. And so, honey, happy birthday. I love you very much. Aw.
1: Thank you for listening, folks. I'm John Nelson.
0: And I'm John Longino.
1: Catch you next time.